0: Hey, Risto Martin and here with George Mason University. Uh, We're talking to Dr. Doug Gleddy today and the discussion will be on social media as a tool for professional development. Uh, If you're on social media, you probably know Doug. Uh, He's got a great blog. Uh, He's active on Twitter. Uh, He's got a really practitioner focused delivery of content on social media. So he's a, a great person to have on the uh, on the podcast to talk about this issue. And so here we go with another episode of Playing with Research in Health and Physical Education. All right, we're here with Dr. Doug Gleddy from the University of Alberta in Edmonton, Canada. Uh, today we're discussing this chapter that was published in a recent book by Ash Casey, Vicki Goodyear, and Kathy Armour. Uh, the title of the chapter is Joey. Uh, social media as a tool for professional development. So, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for taking the time to chat about your paper.
1: Hey, thanks, Risto. It's uh, it's great. And by the way, I absolutely love the title of your podcast. Um, the idea of playing with research is pretty much what I've been doing my whole my whole career. So, uh, yeah, I love that title. And uh, yeah, first off, I'd I'd really like to thank the the co-authors of this article as well as the editors. Um, it was a real fun piece to work with. Uh, I will admit it was having that many authors, a little bit like herding cats. But, uh, <laughs> you know, all of them, Joey, David, Hawk and Lorraine and Ash were all fabulous to work with. So, Awesome. So who is Joey? Yeah. And, I, you know, as you said in your intro, um, you know, if, if you're on social media and you're a phys ed person, you're going to know Joey. And uh, he was okay with being, you know, being kind of outed in the textbook, for lack of a better term, or not the textbook in the, uh, in the book chapter. Um, so, yeah, Joey is a physical education teacher in Montreal, Canada, who's been uh, in the phys ed world for, I think, probably he's been teaching for eight to 10 years now, maybe not quite that long. But he's really embraced the technology side of things. He's uh, been very active on Twitter and various forms of, of uh, social media. So uh, he runs uh, thephysicaleducator.com, the which is a pretty high-level resource. Lots of good stuff on there. So that's that's who he is.
0: Awesome. Um, and I know that when you said that he kind of got outed in this uh, in this chapter, I was reading it going, "Wow." He is he's really putting himself out there and letting people really critique and, you know, comment on his pedagogy, uh, which I think is its brave, for sure. Uh, and I think we all kind of will learn a lot from his experience. So what does uh, Joey do with social media? Um, I don't know
1: that there's much that Joey doesn't do with social media, really. Um, he, he very much, I mean, he's involved on Twitter. He uses Google Scholar to find research. Uh, you know, he's got YouTube uh, connections in terms of using YouTube. Uh, Skype, like we're chatting on right now. I've had a Skype with Joey. Uh, lots of Google Forms and folders and that. Um, and I, yeah, I know he's got some presence on Facebook, but I think, you know, the main piece is, is Twitter. And then, of course, you know, whether websites are considered considered social media or not. I think they're a way of, you know, when you post on Twitter that you've got a blog post or you've got a new resource up, it's kind of, it's it's that interconnection of the social media work we have now with all things technology. So there, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of social media technology use. Awesome. And so
0: what does Joey describe his professional learning community as and how does that help him?
1: Yeah. And I, you know, as he mentions in the chapter about you know, kind of the weight of responsibility, but also the joy of having like 20,000 plus followers. Because when you put a question out there, you put a thought out there, there's lots of people that can respond. And so I think there's, um, he doesn't necessarily say it explicitly in the article, but there's a, a big picture social media piece in terms of a PLN where there's this huge network of people that any one of them can respond at any time, day or night to something put out there. But then there's also... I think all of us kind of have those subgroups when we kind of look for replies from certain people or we might send out a request and query certain uh, Twitter addresses so that we can you know, kind of tailor things to where we want. And and Joey's no different, he does that as well. And he has people that he follows up with further based on, on the initial response from social media.
0: Now, how did that use of social media translate to his pedagogy?
1: Yeah, and the, the example he used in, in his portion of the chapter was, um, you know, he wanted to look at he wanted to look at how to scaffold things, and specifically in ascending, receiving, or sorry, a striking, fielding unit uh, with grade six students. And so he was kind of looking at how do I scaffold some skills and tactics and an idea. And so he, you know, he got a lot of responses initially. I uh, did some reflecting, and then he ended up. Connecting with uh, a teacher in California, Terry Drain, uh, who's also pretty active on Twitter, and ended up, uh, I, I think they he watched a YouTube video of some of her backwards by design stuff. Then he ended up meeting her at a conference and had a face-to-face discussion. Um, he had Skype conversations with uh, Dean Dudley from Australia um, and various other people. So I think what I really see it as, it's almost like this, it's almost like a funnel Where, you know, you start with all this broad information and then when you're narrowing it down, eventually you're getting to the point of of connecting with people uh, through. Then they may be social media directed uh, venues or or media pieces, but it's a more intentional, targeted piece.
0: Right. And so you look at these uh, or or his narrative really through um, first the elementary physical education, teacher education, and then you uh, through Foucauldian and then anthropological perspectives. So let's start with the piece that you wrote specifically in this chapter and which is through the elementary Pete perspective. Um, how did you see Joey's narrative from the view of a uh, Pete faculty member?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the- the first piece is 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 there's different, I mean there's different types and different definitions of what an elementary phys ed teacher is. In our program here, we don't have a specialist program for phys ed. So our teachers are elementary generalist teachers and they take a curriculum and pedagogy course for phys ed with me. They can take up the two courses. And so it's it's a little bit of a different animal. Someone like Joey, who had specific phys ed training he sees himself as a phys ed teacher. The The pre-service teachers that I work with don't always see themselves as phys ed teachers. They see themselves as teachers. And that may not be in a, you know, at first a real important distinction, but my, and I, I talk about this in the book a little bit, but my philosophy with my students is number one about value. I, I need to get them to value the fact and get them to a point of valuing physical education as part of, whole child education, holistic education. Once I'm there, the next step is identity. And that identity piece is, do you see yourself as a teacher of physical education? Because there's a lot of elementary teachers who feel that, like, oh, that's for jocks or athletes. Um, I can't do that. And so getting them to have that identity. Once we get through value and identity, then we can get to pedagogy. So what I bring up in the in the chapter is a little bit about um, the idea that if I... If I don't have them there, I'm not going to blast them with all this stuff on Twitter because they're going to be overwhelmed. So it's it's kind of like drinking from a fire hose a little bit. But I also have to make sure that they want to have a drink. <laughs> that metaphor is going horribly awry, but that's okay.
0: No, I, I hear you loud and clear because when I taught at Cal State Fullerton, I taught two types of classes. And one of them was an elementary methods class exactly like yours. So you have generalist teachers that come in. And you really have to sell the value of what you're trying to teach before getting into pedagogy. So we were lucky to then also have an elementary methods class that we started moving towards just having for physical education undergraduate students who are learning how to teach elementary. And because we had them intermixed and it was it was tough to get to the real deep pedagogy. And I could see that if you go in one of those classes and start talking about Twitter use and being super ingrained, it it would be it would be tough.
1: Yeah, and even just throwing around, you know, TGFU or TPSR and starting to just throw those around, the people who have a phys ed background might have some steeping in that curricular knowledge. The elementary generalists don't. So it's really it's a time piece. It's picking and choosing what are the most critical elements. That being said, I do believe that if you connect people with social media and with some of the, I'll say, right people on social media, and I say that with a little bit of hesitation, but it is a resource that can continue to be there long after they're out of my class.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so your second perspective was through Foucault. And let's take a deep dive into Lando Foucault here. Uh, I know your co-author, Håkan Larsen covered the section, but can you explain to begin who is Foucault and what's his major theory?
1: Yeah, I mean, mostly Foucault is known as the, you know, the, the kind of philosopher of power. The idea that all our relationships are infused with power and the power dynamic is there everywhere. It's not just top-down. It's, it's infused uh, throughout. So, and I'm, you know, I'll be the first to admit I'm not a Foucauldian scholar. Um, I have been on some student Foucauldian committees. Um, I work with a professor over in kinesiology, sport, and rec who takes a Foucauldian approach to coaching. And uh, although I love the conversations, there are times when I am just completely lost. <laughs> but um, Hakken did a really good job of, of kind of focusing in on some of the power dynamics and and really like he writes that you know Foucault's perspective is about self-understanding and it's how we understand ourselves as human beings and our conduct so how how do we behave in the social world which is a great uh kind of preliminary piece to that idea of social media because that's the whole you know we human beings are social beings and social media is another iteration from you know, sitting around the fire in a cave somewhere. Now we sit around a, a screen on Facebook or Twitter. So, um, you know, Hawk can really unpack some of those pieces of, of power and privilege. Um, you know, even the idea of Joey saying he wants to push teachers to be their best, you know, what's his right to push? Um, and, and how, you know, how does he provide the opportunity to, to judge people to, put, to, to be pushed? And I will insert here again, and you mentioned this already, that uh, I'm super impressed with with Joey putting himself out there because that was part of the process and we were having conversations writing this chapter. After he read all of our pieces and re-reflected on them, like I had a conversation with Joey and he said, it was really hard, but it was really rewarding to put yourself out there to kind of be hammered from these three different perspectives. And we, you know, the purpose was not to rip Joey apart. Uh, the purpose was to question and that's really what Foucault does a lot too is is in terms of questioning things so it's not that technology is a bad thing but we need to consider the unintended consequences um, so the other things that Hocken brought out was the idea of of uh there was a little bit of the the culture coming from um agency was in there in terms of um you know Joey's kind of a big player on Twitter in a way so what agency does that come with And then you know no technology is culturally neutral um what are certain norms and values that fit in that culture
0: yeah and i think that when you talked about agency i think there are some major you know major players on twitter just because of how many followers they are or having a website and there definitely is that power power dynamic there so um is there anything else you wanted to add about how Foucault relates to uh to Joey
1: I think you know one of the pieces and I know we'll we'll probably touch on this later but um well I I know we will because it's in the it's, it's in the conclusion but um the idea that do you have to use social media or do you have to use technology to be a good citizen i'm using air quotes around good citizen, but is that expected it you know can you be a good teacher without using technology now i would say yes you can um you know it's a tool so those ideas of, of this inherent kind of power dynamic of if you use technology you're inherently perceived even the whole hashtag of pe geeks it almost you know, it's this, oh, I'm a PE geek, I'm this upper level. And I don't think that's what people have intended with it. But if we don't question these things, we never question these things.
0: Yeah, and I think that this this chapter does a really good job using Joey as somebody that we kind of question. And the, the third uh, perspective you took was the anthropological perspective that was covered by David Howe. Uh, can you give us an overview of what that was?
1: Yeah. I, you know, that was the one that, that I found. I mean, I, I really enjoyed the other ones as well, but looking at it from a kind of a cultural and ethnographic idea, the idea that schools are places of culture, um, the fazed world is a place of culture. Therefore, any professional learning network, any Twitter group is a cultural place and there are cultural norms. And, you know, so David brings up the idea of that, you know, the vast majority of the people who are kind of the people on Twitter or even the people are they come from a Western uh, methodological or a Western philosophical background and and we often don't stop and recognize that um, to take a moment of, of where they're at um, David brings up uh, I think one of the most important thing is the idea of uh, context so where you're teaching who are the children that you're teaching so Joey teaches in a in a pretty high-end neighborhood. Uh, it certainly, you know, would be upper-end middle class. So these are kids who, and that, that impacts everything from their their skill development outside of school to their access to uh, sport and recreation outside of school, but it also applies to, um, you know, them being perhaps part of a dominant culture. And and so we need to consider that as we're looking at where we're going. And, and again, David touches on the idea of the privilege of access to technology. Um, not everyone has this access. And, you know, I distinctly, um, this is not in the chapter at all, but uh, years ago I took a group of students down to Ecuador to, to work with some schools down there, um, with schools with a high percentage of orphaned kids and things like that. And, and after the first day we were sitting around and the students were really critiquing the teacher. Oh, man, he's not... This is not good pedagogy, and this teacher's not doing a good job. And I just asked the students to stop, and I said, listen, are any of you certificated teachers at this point in time? No. Have any of you taught in Ecuador at this school? No. So we have to just be open and receptive. This teacher has been teaching in the school for 10 years. We can't come in there and tell him everything's wrong. That's not, you know, it has no respect for culture. It has no respect for context. So, and not that Joey was disrespectful at all. He's not but we need to consider the context. If I'm sharing all about my experiences in in a middle class school, that could be very different from someone in an inner city school for someone in a school across the world. Yeah, and I think that there is
0: a lot a lot to that. You know, I've worked with both students, student teachers and teachers in, you know, more of the inner city schools versus more of the affluent schools. And, you know, some of the stuff that you see on Twitter you just can't implement in certain contexts. And there is that kind of power. And I think um, we had a conversation with, um, with Harvey about his Twitter paper that, that just yeah. got uh, released. So um, we talk about in that podcast too, about how teachers oftentimes put the best of the best out there. So they show what they're doing really well but we're not having that conversation of, you know, actually showing how we're failing. So it's a it's a little bit of a twisted reality in a way. But so your final perspective is the pedagogical perspective. And this section was uh, written by you, Lorraine Cale and Ash Casey. And you essentially apply a pedagogical lens to the three perspectives we just covered. Um, So, how does Joey align with this concept of power and Foucault's concept of constant checking?
1: Yeah, it's you know, it's interesting. It's just it's just that idea of of continuing, you know, continually. uh, Sorry, continually looking at the process of power dynamics and. Are we limited by culture? Are we limiting or excluding other types of cultures? And that's a kind of a, a little C culture. Um, you know, like we just mentioned, uh, you know, is it is it a culture of middle class? Is it white middle class? Is it somehow we we look at trying, like there is no one embracing culture other than the human culture, which is incredibly diverse. So it's just constantly questioning, you know, did, did what I do meet the needs of my kids? Did I, was I... Receptive and sensitive to the context. Um, did I allow for other perspectives other than the dominant Western culture to emerge, and Western perspective to emerge? And what did I do, actively and passively, to make that happen? So I think you know we the you know the the concept of power went went all the way through, um, and you know as we talked about before, this kind of idea of being a big name. And I know we moved and and. Uh, Stephen Harvey talked about this in his uh in his chapter too but we you know we kind of start out in, in a, a professional learning network on Twitter and we we share all the good things but eventually you maybe get more comfortable or maybe you get to be you feel like well I now have enough power or credibility on Twitter that now I can share some mistakes because people won't judge me for it because they've seen all the good stuff that I do right. so there's a balance there as well of uh, of checking those pieces. Yeah. And
0: another interesting concept that you brought up in the chapter was that kind of like the view of our world, even through Twitter, is this westernized view. And you bring up uh, Rossi's book from 2015. Can you elaborate on the on
1: that worldview? Yeah, you know, a little bit in terms of and the biggest point I think they they make there is that um, schools are not a place of neutrality. There, there are cultural norms that are developed. And, and let's face it, we, you know, our world that we deal in right now has been hugely influenced by Western philosophy, Western thoughts, Western practice. That's the dominant view all the way over. doesn't mean it's the only view. And, you know, we, we don't talk about worldviews enough. So what does a, an Eastern worldview look like? What does an atheist worldview look like? There's, there's all sorts of ways to go through this. And schools are places where this where this happens. Um, and and I think the most important piece of that is the idea of I mean not the most important piece, but the most relevant piece to this chapter is when we put technology in a place of primacy, in a place of privilege, what does that mean for those who can't access it? What does that mean? You know, we're just assumed, oh well, use this app for your phys ed class. Well, 80% of my students don't have a mobile device right. or they have one that's so old that it doesn't update to the apps. Yeah. Or, or my school is inner city and we can't afford all this stuff. Or my school is middle class and we can't keep up with all the technological advances.
0: Right. Or you're assigning things that need Wi-Fi access at home. And yes, the yeah. no student has Wi-Fi access at school, but when they get home, they don't. And it's this concept that sometimes I think people forget. Right. They just make that assumption of just go home and get online.
1: Well, yeah, it
0: doesn't you know, actually work.
1: No, no. And I also wonder, to though, in terms of and I've I've played with this with my own students, too. But um, is phys ed the place where we should focus less on technology because it's so focused everywhere else? We have an opportunity for kids to be face to face, hand to hand, arm in arm. And maybe we need to make sure we keep that. And if we have too much technology in, in phys ed, um, you know, and I've actually in my own teaching of my pre-service teachers, I pulled back on. So, I mean, I do talk about technology and I share what we can use it for, but I also talk about the benefits of phys ed being perhaps the one place where kids can drop that technology and they can actually talk and interact and solve problems with each other face to face.
0: Right. I, and I think in the, in the chapter, your last, Uh, pedagogical approach was super interesting to me and you talked about how there might be this power dynamic and we alluded to that earlier of our culture becoming more and more technology driven and and the tech savvy teacher may end up influencing others and being in a higher position of power
1: so can you
0: elaborate on that a little bit
1: yeah i mean it's it it's really so i think what we struggle with in the last bit of that portion of the chapter is that, you know, to some extent, because of the, like, even though there are barriers to accessing technology, there are less barriers now than ever before. Uh, I mean, I've spent some time in in countries in the developing world and actually the, you know, cellular phones are more used there than they are here in Canada. And the rates are way the heck cheaper. But it, um, you know, so we could look at Joey as, hey, this is, this could be any of us. This could be anybody. We can have that access. We, You can be anybody and have that profile on Twitter. But are we privileging people? Like, are, are teachers who use technology cooler than teachers who don't? You know, I, I saw someone posted a picture on Twitter of a mug, and it's great. It was like phys ed teacher definition, uh, the same as any other teacher except for cooler. And right. and I think we could do a similar thing, you know, uh, hashtag PE geek or hashtag phys ed geek, um, you know, just like a regular phys ed teacher, but cooler. And and I, I don't know that we want to go there. I, I think we want to acknowledge that technology has its purpose and role, but it's not the only thing that's there.
0: Right. So kind of in a summary. Uh,
1: yeah. In, in summary, I think um, for, for Joey, like he has used social media and has and his professional learning network to his advantage, but I don't think he is controlled by or driven by technology. That's, that's a conclusion there. Um, and he is, he is also contextually focused. He gathers things that impact his students at his school. And he's, he's quick to share that as well. He acknowledges he works at a private school. You know, he acknowledges those things. But at the same time, even though he has, you know, he's, he's Western based in his perspective and that kind of thing, He works his butt off and he is honest and he wants to share. He's willing to share his mistakes as well as his successes. So there's an authenticity there, um, you know, that really shone through despite our, our critique and our kind of hammering on Joey for a little bit, that authenticity and really the desire to be the best teacher he can be for the purpose of his students. He's not the best teacher he can be so that his Twitter followers go up. He's the best teacher he can be for his students.
0: Right. And I think that there is something there of saying, yes, he does work in a more affluent area, but he's still doing a good job. There's nothing wrong with him like going the extra mile and working really hard to be a really good teacher. Um, So I was when I was reading this because it started with the introduction and then kind of a critique by the three different ways. And I started thinking, oh, man are we going to hear from Joey? Like, is he going to have a rebuttal here? And so you do, you do have this piece. So what did Joey have to say about these academics you included, uh, breaking down his
1: teaching? Well, we did, uh, we did have to edit out a lot of Joey's swearing at us here. He was, (laughs) but no, he, like I mentioned before, he was very appreciative of the opportunity. um, And it was a little bit raw at first, but we, I, I know, and I think this was a design from, from Ash, Vicki and, and Kathy, but we, we couldn't have done this without having Joey have the last word, so to speak, um, because it really is about the case. And the idea the idea of these, of these pedagogical cases is it's not meant to be let's because most cases like the, I, I think the idea of case study goes back to law. And you look at a case in law and you try and here's a problem and we're going to solve it. That was not our perspective here. Joey was not a problem that we're trying to solve through a Foucauldian anthropological and elementary phys ed perspective. Joey was a case for the purpose of examining a case. And let's look at it from different perspectives and see what we can learn from this. And Joey learned that, you know, he has to be considerate of his culture. He learned that he took a, you know, a hard, self-reflective look and said, yeah, one of the reasons I want to be the best teacher I can be is because people make fun of Fazet all the time. And I don't want to be that teacher that just rolls out a ball and plays dodgeball. I want to be a teacher who is thoughtful, who is is a pedagogue, who assesses with purpose, all those kind of things. So I really think for Joey, it was an opportunity for introspection that was led to by this considered... And uh, I think considerate uh, critique of his of his work, and you know he he had some reminders about uh, how he shares, and I'll just you know his last word of his piece he you know he says I want to thank all my co-authors in this chapter for helping me see how I might further improve, and for being an additional an, an additional part of my professional learning journey, and I know for me and I and I you know, I think I can speak for my co-authors. Joey is a part of our professional learning journey as well. We are richer for have had this experience with Joey.
0: Absolutely. And so what are some things that we can learn from this case?
1: I think, you know, from the, from the Foucauldian perspective, the idea of power dynamics and that it's not just a top-down thing. These are inherent in all of our relationships um, and in every aspect of professional development through social media. Uh, From the ethnographic piece, the the idea of culture and, you know, a term that's used a lot is the other. You know, who are the other people? And, you know, now we talk about othering. So we have to be careful about not over identifying, but just how do we broaden our networks and make them more authentic? Who do you have in your network? Is it all the same kind of people? You know, when the uh, election happened a few years ago in the States, we talked about these echo chambers of debate. So we don't want to live in an echo chamber. Uh, we want to have people who challenge us from different perspectives. Um, you know, from the elementary phys ed perspective, we need to nurture our early career teachers. Um, how can we help them create an authentic view of the profession and help them create their own professional network and to be a little bit discretionary, right? And then just, you know, from the broad techno- technological piece, um, an online PLN can be very important. Um, but that idea of constant checking to go back to Foucault again and reflection and then just awareness. What is their impact? You know, who are we reaching when we get out there? Awesome. awesome.
0: Um, thank you so much for your time, but where can people find you on Twitter, social media, your
1: blog? Do you have those off the top of your head? Yeah, I am at the very innovative and exciting uh, Twitter handle of at Doug underscore Gleddy. Uh, very innovative. Um, and I do write a blog at purposefulmovement.net. Um, which is lots of fun. And I'm always interested in comments on there. Um, But yeah, I don't, uh, I I don't use a lot of other social media at this point in time I'm on Voxer a little bit, but not much. Twitter is kind of my main, my main feed there.
0: Cool. Awesome. Uh, And we'll link to all these and the, um, and the citation for the chapter as well. And the book, um, which is digital technologies and learning and physical education pedagogical cases. So it has a bunch of these pedagogical cases in there. So uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, That's all we have uh, on this podcast. And uh, thanks for
1: listening. Thanks so much, Risto.